Philippians chapter 12. It's going to be useful for you to have that open as we work our way through it. When I was in my mid-teens, I had really bad problems with ingrown toenails. Now, I, I know some people hate feet. I'm not going to get my socks off. I'm not going to put pictures on the screen. But, but I did have quite consistent issues with my big toes. So time after time, I would go back to the doctor, and they would try something, and they would operate and do all these things. But nothing seemed to work. This two big toes were the presenting issue, and they could not get their heads around it. It wasn't until one doctor said, uh, Mr. Prime, could you walk across the room? So I walked across. He said, I think, I think the problem is not just your toe. It could be something to do with the way that you walk. Now, at mid-teens, you know, I was a little bit self-conscious at that moment because you've just perfected your swagger, and all of a sudden, someone's having a pop. But his wisdom was actually spot on. The presenting issue was the little toes. But to solve that problem, I had to address my entire body, the way that I walked across a room. Now, in Corinth, the presenting issue for the writer of this letter, Paul, was the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And he is going to get to addressing what that is and how it should be used in a church. But first he's going to say, okay, we can't just deal with the ingrown toenail. We have to address your walk. We can't jump straight to the presenting issue. We've got to look at actually your whole church gathering. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 come before chapter 14. We're going to get to tongues in chapter 14. But Paul's saying, before we get to the tongue, we've got to look at the whole body. Before we look at spiritual gifts, we've got to look at the person and work of the Spirit at a larger scale. Does that make sense? So we are going to get to this presenting issue in Corinth, but we need to take some steps back. And so let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. Here's where Paul starts his argument. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these 
are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Let's pray before we dig in. Father, we praise you, adore you, worship you tonight because you're not a mute idol, but you are the speaking, living God. So we pray tonight, speak through your word by your spirit. And we pray this in your son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's look at this person of the Spirit. The first thing we see this evening is that the Holy Spirit enables us to say, Jesus is Lord. That should come up on the screen. Thanks, Andrew. First thing, the Spirit enables us to say, Jesus is Lord. Read with me verse 2 and 3. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you, no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In verse 2, he takes this Corinthian church way back to what they were like before they met Jesus. It's a little bit like when someone shows you a photo of you 20 years ago. It's embarrassing. He shows you you and your flares and sporting that mullet that you used to have. Or if you were my kind of era, you had the kind of curtained hair and the cap of poppers. But he takes you way back. See, this is what you used to be like. Uh, He says you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. What were they before they came to know Jesus? Well, they were influenced by the dumb idols of Corinth. And they themselves became dumb. So what is it that made the difference from making them say, Jesus be cursed, to saying Jesus is Lord? What brought that realization that a mullet's not that cool or a cap or poppers aren't in? What brought the difference? Well, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The influence of idolatrous culture is strong and so there needed to be a stronger influence. How did that come? Well, it only came through the person of the Holy Spirit. What brought me to understand Jesus and claim him as Lord? The Holy Spirit. To use the language of 1 Corinthians 2 that we read earlier in the service. My eyes did not see, my ears did not hear, my mind could not conceive. But God revealed it to me by his Spirit. We are indebted to the Spirit for making us see the cross of Jesus as it truly is. How do we conceive of it when we were dumb? We thought it was weakness. We thought it was folly. And it is only God's Spirit that can move that weakness to be power. The power for salvation. It's only the Spirit that can make me say, well, Although I thought that was folly, now I understand it to be the wisdom of God. Where Jesus died the death that I should have died. And yet rose again to show that there could be new life. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us to say, Jesus is Lord. So you ask me, what does it mean to be spiritual? How can I tell if a church 
or an individual has the Holy Spirit? Well, you don't look for some uncontrolled, mystical, ecstatic experience. What do you look for? Absolute allegiance to Jesus as Lord. How can you tell the church that has got the Holy Spirit? It's a church that has Jesus as Lord. Lord is a big deal in 1 Corinthians. It comes, the word comes 66 times. Every issue Paul wants to relate to the Lordship of Jesus. So what's a Holy Spirit-filled church? It's a, it's a church that boasts only in the Lord. What's the Spirit-filled church? It is a church that is united rather than divided. What's the Spirit-filled individual? It's the individual who flees sexual immorality. What's the Spirit-filled individual? Uh, The individual who flees idolatry. How can you tell if someone has the Holy Spirit? Absolute allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has enabled them to say that not only with their lips, but with their life. Jesus is Lord. Now, why does Paul start here? What is the application of starting his treatise on the Holy Spirit at this point? I think his main application is he wants to completely level the ground. If in Corinth there were people who were saying, I am spiritual because I have this gift. We are the elite, these spiritual ones. He says, hang on, this is, this is a ground leveler. We were all dumb, and the only reason now we understand wisdom is because the Holy Spirit enabled us, corporate, to say Jesus is Lord. He completely levels the ground. What other application comes out at this point? Well, I think at the start of this section, he wants to say, what is the proper posture for the use of your spiritual gifts? Well, the proper posture is a bowed knee. It is not an opportunity to, to build our own little kingdoms, but actually the proper posture for spiritual gifts is the knee that bows to the lordship of King Jesus. It's also a good place for any Christian to start a discernment process. If you're listening to a speaker or you're in a church service and something is happening, how do you discern whether this is healthy or not? Whether this is from God or not? Well, ask the simple question. Is it submitting to Jesus as Lord? Is it putting reason above Jesus? Is Jesus bowing the knee to the reason of the modern day? Or is the reason of the modern day day bowing to the Lordship of Jesus? You ask the question, well, are they placing sexuality as Lord and Jesus must bow to our kind of uh, modern day understanding of sexuality? Or do we put our cultural influences as the Lord and Jesus has to adapt to them? Well, this discernment process says, Jesus is Lord, nothing else. And maybe you're not a Christian and you're here tonight. I hope you can see this is the baseline Christian confession. Uh, This is what Christianity is. Jesus is Lord. Those of us who are Christians here tonight, 
we would say, just as Paul took these Corinthians way back at one time, we were influenced and led astray. But the great thing we found out is that there is a better Lord than we, there's, there's someone who's done a better job at being Lord than we were doing in our own lives. We've, we've understood Jesus to be the Lord who is so powerful, so strong, so gracious that he has subdued even our sin and our death under his feet. Something we never could have done for ourselves. And actually he is reigning until every enemy is placed under his feet. We love him as our Lord. So maybe tonight is the first time you've come to see the simplicity of Christianity. His cross and his resurrection show that he is the risen king. And we love life under him. Jesus is Lord. So he starts. The Holy Spirit enabled us to say, Jesus is Lord. Look where he goes next from verse 4. He goes on secondly to say, that same Spirit gives different gifts to each one. Read from verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now there's quite a few words in this section which are worthy of a hashtag if you're of the Twitter generation. Now let's look at four. Four words. Gift. Hashtag gift. What does that infer? It is a gracious gift of God. It is not something that we've deserved, not something that we have earned. The gifts that God's Spirit gives to us are as undeserved as Jesus. They are not there for our own egos or for grounds for boasting, but they are there, as it says in verse 4, or verse 5, for the sake of service. By the very nature, they are gifts. What else? Notice the different gifts are given to each one. Verse 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Who has gifts in a local church? Everybody. Anyone who names Jesus as Lord has also been gifted. The Holy Spirit not only enables each one of us to say Jesus is Lord, but then equips us for service. Each one. In all men, it says. Every single one who claims Jesus as Lord has been gifted by the Spirit. Then notice an important word that comes up numerous times. There are different gifts. Diversity is healthy. Uniformity is not. In that section from 7 onwards, it's just a long list, isn't it? To some, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. Why? There is an amazing diversity of gifts from God's Spirit. But then notice one more word. End of verse 11. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. The gifts that you have are not an accident. We don't believe in luck. We believe in sovereign grace. And so the gifts that are given to each one are determined by the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you're not a Christian. You may notice that so often in life we live in this tension 
that on the one hand loves our individuality, but on the other hand craves um, or hates loneliness. You feel that tension? We crave to be individuals, but we hate loneliness. So we see this in lots of ways today in culture. So one way is uh, we don't want to be tied down to a relationship, so we will cohabit rather than get married. I don't want to be tied down to one person, so I'll have friends with benefits. I, I want a night in on my own. I like my individuality. I like my time. But I'll tweet the whole time I'm on my own because I crave community. It's an interesting tension we have. The other tension is we love community, but we want to preserve our distinctiveness. Do you feel that tension? We'll gather around people we like, peer groups, hobbies. We like to be in community, but at that same time as being wanting to be part of the crowd, we want to be distinct from that crowd. So in the way we talk or the clothes we wear, we want to be in, but we want to be distinct. We live in this tension. And one of the reasons we rebel against religion or church is we fear that all it will do is conform us to its cultic mold. You feel that? Christianity has a wonderfully unique answer. It says that God in his spirit has made you to be you, distinct from anyone else. He loves, he brings, he creates diversity. So he provides that, the individuality and the distinctiveness that we long for, but in a wonderful community that claims a single confession. There is an amazing diversity, but in this unity. The tension that we feel in society is actually released and we're liberated into his church. It stems from who God is as Trinity. He is one, but he is many. He is one, but he is three. He is unity and diversity. We see that in verses 4 to 6. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, The church is like that uh, beautiful orchestra. Every instrument is different, and yet they play the same tune to bring a wonderful peace. If every instrument was a tuba in an orchestra, you'd run. The beauty is in the commonality, but the distinctiveness. I guess the best illustration you could use would be that of a body. But Paul's going to use that in the next part of this chapter. I can't go there. It's next week. So if you're a Christian, what's the application of this section? Well, if every person in a church is gifted every person should be serving. Often a church, in reality, finds that it has a core group of keen beans and quite a large periphery. It's got a a core group who do a lot of the work and lots of people who are consumers. Well, actually here... Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if every single person has been gifted, every single person ought to be serving. A gift unused is a gift abused. A giftedness brings responsibility. There should be an every member ministry in a local church. So let me challenge you. If you're sitting on your gifting, 
and do nothing. I serve. But also we should see a diversity. Some of us will read these verses and say, well, let's narrow some of these things down. I mean, do we still have healing and tongues and all these things today? We want to narrow it. But actually, at this point of his argument, Paul is deliberately diversifying. He is broadening the range. The problem is they've just been focusing on tongues and Paul wants to push it and say there are a multiplicity, that's a big word, multiplicity of gifts. We ought to see a diversity. It's been great. Word Alive has released so many people to use different gifts that maybe they didn't even know they had. It's been great to see the Hissip branch, to see our artists getting arty. It's been good to see the Shanwick Place Project, solicitors and engineers and architects working for the sake of Christ's church. We ought to see that diversity. If you're new to church, if you're visiting and you're a Christian, maybe the temptation is to think, you know what, I don't know if I fit into this church. They're very middle class. Uh, they're very of the same mold. Maybe I don't fit. Can I plead with you? You could be the answer to our unhealthiness. If you leave, you're the very person that we need. If you don't fit in, actually that's, that's where we're lacking. So don't wander out the door and say, I don't fit in in that church. Actually, we need the diversity. It will serve us and hopefully serve you. One more application, I guess, is the simple one that says, I know what your gift is or know what your gifts are. It's worth taking the time to say, where has the Spirit determined that I should serve with the gifts he's given? Maybe it's worth applying at this point. For, for some of us who are older, I heard the expression, in the third age. I quite like, is that, can I use that? After middle age comes the third age. Um, but maybe for those of you who are in that season of life, there is, a, there is a hardship that comes that says, you know what, I had this gift, but actually the season I'm in means that I can't use this anymore. And I'm feeling a little bit surplus to requirements. I, I, I long for the days when I could still be doing what I used to do. do you know he may bring different gifts and different opportunities for different seasons. So maybe this is a time to stop and say, well, although I had that gift and I used it for his glory and the good of the church, maybe I need to say, well, what is he gifting me with today? The Holy Spirit enabled us to say, Jesus is Lord. The same Spirit gives different gifts to each one. And then a third thing, the Spirit's gifts are given for the common good. Verse 7 is Paul's burden in a nutshell. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So our gifts not only come from this common source, but they are for a common aim. So we start off with one source, there's then this diversity of gifts, but then they come back down for one common aim. And what is it? The common good. I'm quite enjoying the voice at the moment. I've dipped into Britain's Got Talent with my wife, and we quite like both of them. But those programs, they take giftedness as an opportunity for self-promotion, don't they? Giftedness is an opportunity to prune your own feathers, to build an ego and to pursue fame. 
But what is the purpose of giftedness? It is not that we say, it's my gift, therefore it is for my goods. Now the attitude of a Christian that says, it is the Spirit's gift, it is for the church's goods. Just as a gift unused is a gift abused, so a gift used for my own benefits is a gift abused. It is for the good of the church. It's not to puff up the ego of the individual, it's to build up the community of Christ's church. It makes sense when you think back to where it has come from. Who is the God who has given us a gift? He is the God who has constantly been given. He is the benevolently, wonderfully uh, generous, abundant giver. Who is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? He gave not just something, but himself that we might be saved. So if that God is the source, what ought to be the end of our gifts? It ought to be, again, a giving for the goods of others. It is the Spirit's gift for the church's goods. I think those, those television shows, Britain's Got Talent and uh, The Voice, they have a lot of casualties. You see people coming on and they're really nervous, they're very fragile, and they tell you if the coaches don't turn around, if the judges say no, I don't know what I'll do. It'll crush me. My confidence will be shot. And although some make it, there is a long trail of casualties in those programs. And maybe you're left thinking, man, Britain's got talent, but I don't. Here's the good news about the Christian church. Every single person is purposed by the Spirit for the common good. So we're not left saying, well, I've got nothing to give. I've got nothing to contribute. Actually, if each one is gifted, each person has something to bring to the table. If you leave, we lose out. If you're not here, we are not as healthy as we were. But if you are here, it is for our good. We need you. Uh, we have great purpose from the gifts of the Spirit. But there's also a warning. The warning is guard your heart and examine your motives. Why are we using the gifts that God has given? Is it in that posture of bending the knee or is it actually to build our little empires, to increase our popularity, to stroke our egos? Why are we doing what we're doing in local church service? We need to guard our hearts. And they're for the common good. It's tragic that in chapter 11, Paul says of the Corinthian gatherings, when you come together, you do more harm than good. Here's the Spirit who has gifted these people to come together and do good. And actually the tragedy is they're coming together and it is doing harm. When you come to church, what is your attitude? Is it with that prayerful attitude that says, I want to do good tonight. I want to be for the common good tonight. So whether it's the person sitting next to you or the person you bump into over coffee or this person you see across the church, you think, do you know what, they, they could do with a word of encouragement. 
Or maybe the person you see across the church to say, man, I want to tell them right off. Here's the question. Is it, going to, is it going to be for good or for harm? The Spirit has gifted you. Why? For the common good. He starts off this section and he takes them way back to what they were like when they were pagans, when they were following the mute idols. I wonder if we look forward now and say, when I once was influenced by the culture and by those idols I was following, if now I'm influenced and led by the Spirit, what is the future going to look like? Hopefully it will mean two things, that we're both a contributor and a beneficiary. We use the gifts that God has given And in fellowship with the local church, we benefit from the gifts of others. We must be influenced, led by God's Spirit if we are to be a church that has Jesus as Lord. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that Jesus' lordship is one that has benefited us so much. It is amazing that he would come and live and die for our good. And we thank you for that grace. And so we pray that as those who not only has Jesus died for us, but your spirit has been given to us, that we would use those gifts for the sake of the church and for the glory of Jesus' name. Father, thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.